You are tuned into a Heads and Tails NFL Injury Report, where each week we discuss the latest injuries and sports health buzz surrounding the league in an attempt to make football safer to play at all levels. Dr. Wazim Bush provides expert medical insight, while my buddy Josh Boyd keeps us up to date on all current events and provides play-by-play analysis. And my name is Kevin Song, and I provide the perspective of a former player with a passion for changing a football culture that nearly took my life. If this is your first time to the show, I recommend checking out some of the athlete and expert interviews that we have previously published on this podcast. For detailed show notes and videos from this episode, go to headsandtails.org backslash injury reports. Welcome back to an all new Heads and Tails injury report. We are currently in, or just finished, week one of the 2018 NFL season. And, you know, the whole reason why we do this podcast is to talk about the injuries, the penalties, um, and, and all the health and safety buzz to really just help, you know, create a culture shift in the, the sport of football. And last week, we kind of talked about the good things that we've seen and the direction that the NFL is going and how we kind of like that direction. And in this first week, we kind of get a good glimpse into, you know, what's actually happening now. So... We're going to go through a couple season-ending injuries, for, which is unfortunate for a lot of these guys. Um, then we're going to get into uh, some questionable calls with the helmet rule, roughing the passer, uh, with, uh, you know, on, some, on some quarterbacks. And then also uh, we'll get into some other miscellaneous conversations and finish with Tom Brady's new football helmet, which is what I'm, I was very <laughs> excited about when I saw it. Uh, but all right, we'll start off with the week one injuries. And the first one, uh, Tennessee Titans tight end Delaney Walker um, out for the season with a dislocated ankle and uh, also a fracture. Um, so, uh, Josh, you want to explain how it happened? And, and then, uh, Waz, you take over for, you know, how uh, what, what the, the outcome should be. All right. Um, just a, we'll go back in the background a little bit of the game. So, uh, interesting, the Titans-Dolphins was technically the longest game in NFL history. Uh, this week in week one, but it was really because they had a two separate lightning delays in Miami. The first one was about almost two and a half hours long, and then they came back out and played for like five minutes, and then they they, they delayed them again. Um, it's interesting to me how they keep making the Dolphins open up at home to start the season. Last year they had the hurricane that got canceled. Uh, this year they have a lightning storm and it turns into a seven hour game. Um, so it was kind of interesting from that perspective from a, from a player's like, obviously that didn't have anything to do with the injury of itself, but the injury did happen at the end of the, towards the end of the game after it had, had been delayed. Um, uh, like I said, that I don't think that has anything to do with, especially not this injury. Um, but Delaney Walker tight end for the Titans is probably one of the more underrated tight ends, uh, in the NFL, I think. Um, and was a key contributor for the Titans, who a lot of people like this this season um, in the AFC South, which is going to be a pretty tough division. But um, like Kev said, broken ankle, uh, dislocated, fractured. Um, it kind of just has one of those ones where he was getting pulled down and tackled, and it got his leg caught underneath. Kind of like pulled down from behind. The defender kind of put his kind of yeah, it was like it was almost like from it. the side, but but yeah, just an unfortunate kind of freak thing where your foot gets caught in the ground. And obviously, check out the. Show notes for the video yeah. on that hit. You know, if you're if you're squeamish, kids, don't look at this uh, this injury. Uh, it's pretty similar to that of which uh, Odell um, suffered last year. So essentially, 
If you look at the video, you might actually be able to perceive that his foot was facing the wrong direction at one point in time. And that happened after the dislocation um, portion of it as well. So with him, he's definitely lost for the season. What happened here and with Odell was that the bones literally, uh, the fibula and the, and the tibia, the shin bone and the outside bone from there, they literally get pried apart. And um, that's where the fracture happens in, in those two bones there too. The ligament holding the, those two bones to keep it stable is ripped. And um, he, he has a, it seems like it's going to be a higher uh, level fracture. He should... What does higher level fracture mean? Higher level meaning uh, above the ankle, I meant to, to say, um, above the actual joint itself. So there's going to be the fibula, fibula and the tibia. Both are going to probably involved in some way shape or form here with the dislocation and and uh so forth um you know what to expect with him is that guys like odell mariota they both had suffered the same injury before um dave carr um they were able to recover pretty fully you know he's probably going to end up getting a pin in one of these bones to just stabilize things uh maybe a plate or two in there and um he should return back to 100 percent. you know um, Odell and uh, uh, David Carr, they're both a little bit younger, but uh, I don't see any reason why he shouldn't okay, return to form. Good to know for for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the next injury we have is New England Patriots running back Jeremy Hill out for the season with an ACL injury. And this was a, a contact ACL injury. Contact ACL injury. Yeah, a couple ACLs um, first week of the season. It's kind of a weird one in the aspect that, all right, so Jeremy Hill's a running back, uh, offensive player. Um, and it happened where he, when he was actually trying to make a tackle on an interception. So he was going, almost chasing the guy from behind. And like had his hand on his jersey. And the fullback for the Patriots actually comes like comes in from across and like dives at the legs of the defensive back of the Texans who had the ball and just basically squared up <laughs> Jeremy Hill's knee with his helmet. Um, so it was like, as soon as Jeremy Hill was planting with his right foot, the fullback dove to try to make the tackle and just one of those like perfect timed foot gets in the ground, helmet hits the knee, contact ACL. So when we look at these major ligament injuries of the knee, a really simple way of looking at it is thinking about the knee with four major seatbelts, a front seatbelt, a back seatbelt, your ACL and your PCL respectively, and then two side seatbelts. One on the outside, one on the inside. Inside is MCL, outside is LCL. And what do seatbelts do? They restrain you from any type of movement um, in that direction. Now, when one of those seatbelts is torn, you end up getting extra motion and then there's instability in the knee, right? In this case, when uh, Jeremy Hill got injured, he got hit and he suffered what's called a valgus type of mechanism where his knee buckles in and that overstresses the uh the front seat belt as well and when we have non-contact injuries we see this type of mechanism and it's going to be re- repetitive in here and using that seat belt analogy we'll probably build off of on a couple of the other injuries as well but jeremy hill unfortunately lost for the season nine to twelve month recovery um we'll see how he does yeah and what's interesting i guess not interesting about those two injuries is that they're both contact related and to me those are really injuries that can't be prevented, you know, out of the game. It's just an unfortunate set of circumstances. Um, Another guy uh, who has a 
a season or an extended period of time he'll be out out for is uh, Carolina Panthers tight end Greg Olson, who refractured his foot. And if you were a, a fan of the podcast last year, you know we definitely talked about this injury. Last year we had a video. This year we do not. Um, but maybe uh, Waz can take us through, you know, kind of the process of like how this foot injury or how common it is for this foot injury to be uh, refractured. So uh, basically, Greg Jones suffered, uh, Greg Jones, Greg Olson suffered a, uh, a Jones fracture. So w- last year, this is the same type of fracture that he suffered. What that is, is basically a fracture in the outside long bone of the foot. Um, it's the fifth metatarsal and there's a break in it. Um, based on the area of the break, that's where the Jones portion comes into to play. And Jones fractures are concerning because there aren't as much um, uh, blood supply to that area and it can be tough to heal. Typically, uh, it's very common in football players and soccer players and so on. And uh, any high-level athlete, they usually will just put a pin and screw in, uh, screw, uh, put a screw in through the bone and then allow it to heal. You know, possibly it can take you uh, six, to eight to, six to eight weeks to recover from this at best. Um, and a lot of times it takes a lot longer. Now, if you try to rush this thing, you start putting weight on it, walking on it, you can delay or stop the healing from occurring. And um, that's when you run into trouble. And so these types of injuries um, tend to reoccur if um, if you're you know planting in a certain way and 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 so forth with uh, with uh, the way that Greg injured his uh, this time around too, it's going to be interesting because they're not going to do surgical um, uh, 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 treatment immediately. Um, they are going to actually see month to month how he heals and uh, take it from there. If they put him on IR, he'll be out for eight weeks. Um, you know, and then we'll have to just see where he is from month to month basis. It is possible that he will need a second surgery. So, again, guys, Olsen, we'll have to keep you updated on. Josh, what do you think about uh, this injury for Greg Olson, just in terms of where his career is at, how old he is? You know, it seems like he keeps getting hurt a lot. So, well, it's just yeah, it's unfortunate because it's the same same thing that happened to him last year that he that he missed a significant amount of time for, and um, just based on this year, it, I mean, it kind of looked like he was running a route and he almost got stepped on by the defender. It looks like the defender stepped on stepped on top of his foot and caused him to kind of, I don't know, plant awkwardly um, because of that. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of a fluky thing, but for their sake and for the Panthers' sake, I mean, it's I know it happened early in the season last year, but, I mean, they should be they should be in the race all year. So if they can take it easy with him and give him 8, 10, 12 weeks and have him back for the end of the season and the playoffs, I think that's that's probably their goal and, yeah. his, and his goal too. It's the force from that step on uh, on the actual play, which I didn't have a chance to actually see. Um, it's the force from that that probably just rebroke him. Um, you know, he hadn't missed a game for like 10, 10 yeah. seasons or something like that. And all of a sudden he missed uh, essentially most of the season last year and now – We'll we'll see how many games he's gonna miss here. He's probably looking at least eight weeks, I think. All right, and then we have another ACL injury. No video, uh, but probably a similar 
uh, scenario as to what uh, Dr. Waz just uh, explained um, for the Jeremy Hill injury, and that's uh, the ACL injury of uh, Kinu. Keanu. Keanu. Yeah, hey, like Keanu Reeves. Yeah. Keanu. That's how it's spelled also. Yeah. yeah. Well, if I knew like actors and actresses, <laughs> I probably would know that. Or anything. Yeah. Come You're on. sassy today, Josh. Live a little, Kev. Come on. All right. You so spread your horizons a little bit. Yeah. Safety for the Atlanta Falcons. Um, ACL injury. Um, I guess Josh, I, you were saying he yeah, was hurt earlier in the game. There's right? no no video on this, but uh, if you were watching the game on Thursday night, he had a non-contact. He went down on a non-contact play. He was just covering a tight end, planted. You could tell he was like favoring his knee, planted. Knee didn't really go the wrong way, but you can tell it kind of gave out on him. Went down. Trainers looked at him. They took him to the tent. They took him in the locker room. This was like the second quarter. Um, and then they cleared him to come back in the game. And then like a series later, he's a safety. and the ball was on, they ran like a screen pass to the completely other side of the field, and he was the safety, the backside safety on the other side, and he just like took a step and went down. Not that it's funny, I don't want to laugh. So it might have already been torn. Yeah, but that's that was just the, the weird thing to me is it. the first time it happened, it looked, not that the doctors couldn't identify it, sure. but it looked like one of your typical non-contact ACL. It's just, sure. uh, just on how he reacted and how it looked when he did it. But they cleared him to go back in the game, um, and then soon after that, he went he went down again on a way uh, he barely would even – it looked like he just took a step right. um, and then went down. So it was just weird in the sense that it looked like something happened earlier in the game, and, but they still cleared him, and then so on off of maybe he partially tore it early in the game, and they couldn't. Like I don't know, you know better than me, Waz. What is that like? So wh- what's wh- what tests are they doing when they're sure? So couple of things. Most ACL injuries are non-contact, um, even in the the vast majority of the population now here. It's non-contact where you suffer, like I said, that valgus type of mechanism where your knee buckles inwards. And you just take a step, you plant wrong, and it just buckles in, and that's it. Um, so on the field, what they're doing is they're trying to test that that ligament in itself. Um, and what they do is they do two maneuvers. One is called a drawer test, where they literally sit on the foot, and they just pull the tibia and try to see if it translates or moves too far forward. There's usually a nice endpoint on both sides, on the back end and on the front end. And if that's it's healthy? If it's healthy. And that's where the seatbelts come into play, right? Because anytime, think about seatbelts, they hold you in, and that's a, a, a strong endpoint on there. And then the other one is called the Lachman's test, and they basically are translating the femur and the tibia in a different way, um, up and down motion, again, and feeling for those endpoints. When those endpoints are, are quote-unquote not there, then they start suspecting an ACL tear. You, he could have had a partial tear, and these tests aren't, exact you know what i mean they're they're sensitive and we can pick those things up but um the sensitivity meaning how good the test is at picking picking up the actual injury is only like 40 50 percent it's not right? an mri exactly yeah. so you know it, it, it's a tough call you know if he was able i'm sure when they took him into the tent and when he was in uh during halftime they were making him go through motions that would mimic the stability of that uh, ACL, so they wouldn't have put him out there if they they weren't they didn't think he would have have a decent opportunity. All right, transitions nicely into the next injury. Yeah, so we have another uh, guy who got injured or injured his knee and came back into the game and he won the game, and that is Green Bay's quarterback Aaron Rodgers, the discount double check. Rodgers, Rodgers. <laughs> 
Yeah, he came back. They were down by like 20. 20 nothing, yeah. Yeah. So, I, obviously, I think this was the biggest injury story of the week. Yeah. Um, and just based on his reaction to the injury. And so he, he got sacked, but he like turtled, like turtled. He basically gave himself up. So yep. there was guys coming off both ends in, early in the second quarter. And he just kind of fell to the ground yeah. and like to brace and like almost give himself up. And so, and a guy fell. I think it was Khalil Mack. Yeah. His back, his back leg was almost like stuck out. Um, almost in like a taking a knee position, yeah. and he just fell on the outside of his knee, kind of. And but just the way he grabbed his knee, um, he they, stood up and he fell back down. He again. stood up, fell back down. They carted him to the locker room. The look on his face when they like most of the most of the time, these guys, um, know it yeah. seems like when they have a significant injury, yep. especially one of these knee knee injuries, it's most of the time they know. Um, so that's a, just looking at his face. I was like, this, this, just from a fan standpoint, this sucks. Rogers out for the year. He was hurt last year, missed a significant amount of time. He's gonna be out for the year again this year. Um, all all the halftime shows, everyone was like so upset because they were like, they everyone. I think ninety five percent of people thought he it was an ACL. The whole of Green Bay held their breath. Yeah, and uh, you know. Again, the way that we would describe his knee, the position of his knee is internally rotated at that point in time where it was kind of planted in there. And uh, having Khalil Mack and some other 300-pound man uh, falling on the side of your leg like that, you know, again, the big things that you could be injured here, MCL, meniscus, and certainly ACL. You know, Rogers was able to come back and play the question is, what what was he playing on? You know, um, ACLs. It's funny. There there's a few people that are just freaks of nature who don't even have an ACL in their knees. They're born without it, like Adrian Peterson, right? You know, um, and they're totally fine. And I'm sure that he had some kind of heavy brace on there. But the big story was after the game, that knee just absolutely became swollen, and they were uh, trying to get that MRI, and they had to hold off a little bit on the MRI. So um, I think Green Bay fans are still uh, holding their breath and waiting to exhale, and um, we'll we'll see what the book says on Rodgers. Yeah, I'm sure we'll have an update later in the week. Yeah. Uh, still a fun game to watch. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really stay <laughs> Not up for late. Bears for, fans. I don't stay up late for games, but I stayed up late for that one. It also helps that I'm a Packers fan. So, <laughs> uh, all right, next injury, which isn't going to hopefully be a season-ending one, but it very well could be. Uh, that's uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, wide receiver Deshaun Jackson with a concussion. Yeah, Josh. Um, yeah, so basically Deshaun Jackson has a couple of concussion uh, in his past and his history, but this was one of the ones where you see where he's he was getting tackled from behind and the defender wrapped him. So he almost so he trapped his arms. So as he's bringing him to the ground, he couldn't brace himself. Basically, right, basically his face planted right in the yeah. ground. Yeah, I mean, in New Orleans on on turf, a little less forgiving. So it's just you see this um, with wide receivers and quarterbacks and running backs, especially sometimes where they get they get wrapped up to the point where if you get your arms trapped, you have nothing to brace your fall with. Right, and and we think about you. You can make all the helmet rules in the world that you want, and you're never going to prevent something like this. And Correct. Even you make people with the arguments of like take the face mask off in this situation. This guy just broke his face broke his if nose. you if you take that away from him yeah. too. So lost some teeth probably. I still believe that the game has evolved the way it should we should be in terms of equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think there's a, just a level of risk that people need to accept. Yeah. And, um, and, and this is one of them. And I also think that this is a perfect example of the fact that helmets do not prevent concussions, right? Just because you're wearing a helmet does not mean you're going to, you're going to be protected from a concussion. Now with Deshaun, he's had several concussions in the past and he had a major one uh, the last time when he was with the Eagles um, and he was coming across the middle and just got absolutely tattooed in um, over the middle. Um, we do know with recovery, the more concussions you have, the more serious they are, the longer it takes typically for you to recover. He's in that concussion protocol. I wouldn't be surprised, guys, if he's out for a week or two. Um, and we'll have to play this one by year two. All right. And then we got an, another uh, injury. And that is uh, Seattle Seahawks wide receiver Doug Baldwin with an MCL sprain. Yeah, the next two, uh, probably the lesser significance, but higher named, um, at least from a fantasy perspective, uh, big name guys who have some less significant injuries that might miss a week or two or maybe not at all. Um, Doug Baldwin, wide receiver for the Seahawks. Um, Said he got an MCL sprain. Uh, he had an, he had the problem with his knee coming into the year in preseason. Uh, there was a report where he said he was only 80, 85 percent. Um, but it was when he said it was one of those things where he wasn't going to get any better, whatever that means, whatever it was wrong with him. He was anticipating being 80, 85 percent all all year. Um, but now he's going to be less than that. So uh, we'll see how long this keeps him out, if at all. And uh, also, Jaguars running back Leonard Fournette left the Giant game with a hamstring injury. Um, just a tweak. They held him out. Rest of the game. There's reports that he might even be able to come back uh, again next week. So those are just a couple um, non 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 season ending, um, but fantasy impactful injuries from week one. All right. Well, that wraps up uh, most of the injuries. I think we're going to touch on one more injury as we kind of go through this helmet rule uh, discussion and how it played out for the first week. Um, but the first. We'll go over some questionable calls. Uh, that was, uh, One personal foul that was called in the Miami-Tennessee game was kind of like a – almost like a wrestling-style move where you kind of – the defenders like wrapped up the receiver and just kind of like Suplex. suplexed them. But he broke the receiver's fall because the receiver kind of like fell on top of him and a flag was thrown for some reason. And to me, that was like a ridiculous flag. Uh, I don't think it was like any malicious intent at all, but I've I've seen that a couple times in the last couple of years. If you pick the guy up off the ground, they've been called. I mean, there it's are... one thing if you like slam him, yeah, directly but... into the ground. But when you like bear hug him on top of you, I feel like it's yeah, I know. Less I've, of a... Yeah, you're right. I've I've but I've seen it called. I mean, they're gonna they're I think they're gonna call these things. I mean, kinda... that's that goes back to playing with control, right? Come on, right. no reason not to. Yeah. Uh, some of the other, I mean, this, this conversation is going to transition into a lot of areas just the rules and rules in general, but, um, I guess we'll start with the roughing the quarterbacks before we get into the, 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 uh, helmet rules and how it was called, but, uh, cause that was another point of emphasis yeah, so the, the, going into the season yeah, was it, protecting it, the quarterback. Correct. And there was, I think four or five times where they called roughing the passer this week on, the body weight call, which we talked about a little bit last week, where basically um, the defender is wrapping and then landing on, on top of on, on top of the quarterback. Um, some people are some people are complaining about it. Uh, I heard a coach, an NFL coach, on the radio today who was saying that they practiced it and they videotaped it to show their guys um, against tackling dummies, but they were um, practiced wrapping up. And making a tackle, especially against a quarterback, the right way without 
landing on him. Um, so we, we, we saw that multiple times this week. Um, it'll be interesting to see, because that was kind of one of the points of emphasis they, that they actually called week one. It was noticeable that they were actually calling. Um, it also is one of the easiest things to call for the referees because they're, the head referee is five feet behind the quarterback at all time, and his job is to watch the quarterback the entire play. So they're not missing that. Um, so uh, people on Twitter did complain about it, but, I mean, if that – if that gets defenders from stopping, that's fine. Uh, like the the Twitter referees like to say that it, it it's impossible to not do that if you're a defensive lineman. But um, at least if you're if you're showing the ref that you're making somewhat of an intent to slide off to the side or do anything but land with your full weight, I don't think they'll call it. But um, that was an interesting one um, with the roughing the passer. The other roughing the passer penalty that I saw that I that I personally don't like is. And I saw it once in the Monday night game last week. They're calling roughing the passer on sacks now, which is like, to me, that just, it, it I don't know. I, I feel like that's not the point of the rule. Because again, um, I feel like the point of the roughing the passer rule is to call it after the quarterbacks release the ball. Because now he's the de- defenseless or he's, he's now he doesn't have the ball anymore. Um, but there was a play last night where uh, Aaron Donald who, from the Rams, who's one of the, obviously one of the best defensive linemen in the game, set up his offensive lineman, like basically juked him out of his shoes, ripped him, and got straight beat him clean. And the offensive lineman just turned around and basically tackled him and like pushed him down. And he fell into uh, Derek Carr's. Uh, legs, so he based so Donald basically tackled him around yeah. the knees, but Car- Carson had the ball and it was a sack, and they mm-hmm. called roughing the passer, and they were just like, but that's what they're that's what they're going to do. So you can't hit the quarterback low, even though you're basically blocked into the quarterback, but the quarterback still has the ball. So I understand they're trying to protect the quarterback, so you don't want to want to hit him low, you don't want to hit him high, but right, but uh, that's a situation yeah. where it w- like he got pushed into, yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, it's hard to it, – it's easy to see he got pushed into him on the replay when they slow it down, but um, when the ref's behind the quarterback like that, you can't see. Uh, with, with what so, happened before Yeah, that, with yeah. so many people in the line, you can't see that. But still, it makes I, – I don't, I don't like the roughing the passers on the sacks. It's just – I get they're trying to protect the quarterback's legs, but like, he's you got know, the ball. It, it's somewhat consistent with uh, the way that they approach roughing the kicker too, right? So similar events happen, and they call those penalties too just on uh, roughing the kicker. So I guess at least if you are thinking about anything or you want to say anything, at least they're keeping it consistent. Yeah. Yeah. I just, it makes, I don't know. No, that's the, I totally hear you though. For for as much as I've come around and been on board with all the player safety stuff and protecting everybody, it's just, I, I don't like the roughing the passer on, on the sacks. Quarterbacks got the ball. Their job is to get the, if, if the defensive lineman's job is to get the quarterback down. If he has the ball, if he if he gets rid of the ball and you're a half second late and you go out and you for whatever reason hit him high, hit him low, throw the flag. But he's got yeah. the ball, tackle him. Yeah, I agree with that, and I think it really should be more called on this, like when guys just like tee off on Absolutely. the quarterback, like hitting him from the blind side or launching themselves. Because to me, if 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 you're a quarterback, anything behind you, that's like a defenseless receiver because you don't know what is going on behind you. So in those situations, yeah, like don't go full speed and jam your face mask like into their back. Like maybe do find an, an alternative way to get them down. Uh, when you're coming at them at their face, they might be able to see you in the corner of their eye. I don't know. But uh, there's a, a couple other uh, def- or roughing the passer penalties to note. And that's uh, one that was – on Marcus Mariota that actually ended up uh, him hurting his elbow on the play. 
So this was kind of, and this was, so it was basically like a read option type play where yeah. he's, uh, Mariota has the option to hand off the running back or keep it and go to the outside, like the college the college play that all a lot of the, especially uh, NFL teams with mobile quarterbacks are running now. Um, and when this became like a big in vogue thing, when Kaepernick was running it w- with the 49ers and four or five years ago when they're less player safety, everyone just said, when these guys do that, just hit the quarterback. Well, that's <laughs> what we were taught in high school. <laughs> exactly. Just hit the quarterback no matter what. Yeah. And then they won't. Every play. Yeah. Then they won't want to do anything. <laughs> they won't want to do anything. So <laughs> go and, home. And this is basically what happened. So uh, Mariota um, inside handoff and he like, kind of play action without the ball a little bit to the outside and the outside linebacker lunged, dove, like wrapped and his helmet hit Mariota's Mariota's elbow. Um, Was it a dirty play? It wasn't the dirtiest I've ever seen. Was it clear that Mariota didn't have the ball? Yeah, probably, but yeah, it was unnecessary. But like you said, read option, right? Yeah. And, and the, the injury on the play, uh, he came down, he hit his elbow you know, that's that's the funny bone that everybody talks about. Your ulnar nerve is running right in that area. And when you hit that ulnar nerve, you get that zing. And you just can't, you get that electrical shock. You can't even deal with yourself. It's not funny, right? So, um, you know, sometimes uh, injuries to that nerve can last a couple of days. Or it can take a couple of weeks for you to actually recover from this. So this could end up being a significant injury. It depends on how much you, you know, what he what he's able to, to recover and how quickly it is. You saw him after the play. He was actually kind of um, shaking his hands out, and he was trying to throw the ball a few times. They put him back in. He threw the ball a couple more times, and then they took him out. Um, but that's exactly why. You know, you, you lose that grip strength with that ulnar nerve too. So it'll be uh, interesting to see how quickly he comes back from this too. He yeah, the funny bone that's not so funny. <laughs> We've all been there. It's the uh, worst. So uh, this one is related to Josh's team here, and that's a hit on uh, Ben Roethlisberger. And this actually had some game implications, this this penalty. At least that's what the Twitter world was saying. I wasn't watching the game. Yeah, so this was the first touchdown. It was 0-0, third down uh, inside the third and goal for the Steelers, and they uh, bent through an incomplete pass. Uh, so it would have made a fourth down. They would have had to kick a field goal. They called roughing the passer, passer on uh, Miles Garrett for the Browns. Um, and then – NFL came out either after the game or Monday and said it was shouldn't have been called. Um, there's a video of it uh, on Twitter and it'll be on the on the show notes. But to me, it looks it looks almost the same as the other ones that they call it because it's a it's a body weight. That was why they called it. Um, it was the tackling and landing with the body weight. To me, it looked the same as all all the other ones. But um, for whatever reason, the NFL came out and said it shouldn't have been called. But like I said, if it's going to be a point point of em- emphasis, it's going to be called when it shouldn't be. And that's kind of what we said last week. Like people are just going to have to deal with it because it's any time that's a point of emphasis, um, they're going to be more willing to call it than not call it. So Absolutely. they're going to they're they're going to call it sometimes when it's wrong. But. And then we have a couple no calls uh, on uh, helmet to helmet or leading with the helmet yeah. plays, and this one actually uh, led to a concussion, uh, and that's Kevin Johnson. Uh, what position does he play again? Corner. Corner for the. Yeah. Texans. Texans. Okay. (laughs) Good job, Kev. Uh, uh, But anyway, Josh, do you want to explain kind of how the play went down? Well, yeah. and I mean, this is a good transition into talking about the helmet rule uh, in general because obviously this was the biggest um, talking point. One that we had last week and two really for the NFL in general this preseason, right, was how many calls – how many preseason helmet-to-helmet or 
illegal use of helmet, leading with a helmet, whatever you want to call it, were called in the preseason, um, how it was going to affect the regular season games. Um, and really, before we get into this, I'll, I'll just say there was there was one penalty this week for the helmet rule, basically. One. Um, there's a, We'll have a video of it on the show notes also, a uh, defensive back for the for the Chiefs. And it was pretty pretty straightforward letter of the law he put his ducked his head and hit the running back in the shoulder he didn't even tackle him the guy kept going um but they called a penalty on it um uh, which like we were talking a little bit before the show i have no problem with that that call specifically but in to me that was one of a carbon copy of 50 tackles that i saw this week it just happened to be called and it was and it was called one time um so but this, this is kind of what we talked about last week where i i I was interested to see how it would transition from preseason to regular season. And it transitioned into 50, it being called 50 times in the preseason um, to it being called once in the first week of the regular season. Um, so basically, like the biggest thing I can say is where if I went to sleep after the Super Bowl, woke up on Sunday and watched football and didn't know any rule changes, I wouldn't have said anything was different. Right from a from from a rule standpoint, that's not to say uh, players weren't playing playing differently. Playing differently yeah. But sure. from a rule standpoint, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have known any any difference, and it and it didn't look that much different to me. Yeah, I mean that hit in particular. When I see it, I think Ryan Shazier. Yeah. Because to me, it's almost like an identical type of approach to a tackle that got him injured like that. So really, that rule and that penalty was only trying to save the defender. Like it wasn't putting the the ball carrier in danger; it was putting himself in danger. Correct. And he went limp. You know, he he just went limp. So he was obviously uh, uh, knocked out, and he had some loss of consciousness there. Um, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, he he went limp. Yeah, if you look did. at this, yeah. he um, as oh soon yeah, as he, yeah, as soon as he hits, he collapses, his knee buckles, and then oh. he's done. We you know. were talking. I was talking about different. I was talking about the one that was throw a flag was thrown for. Yeah, the Chiefs one. Yeah, yeah. That right. one he didn't go limp though, right? No, 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 no. Yeah, no. we're talking about the Kevin Johnson yeah, back to concussion. Kevin Johnson. Oh yeah, he definitely went yeah. limp. Um, and this one is also interesting because the ball carrier initiated contact with his helmet, but a specific part of the rule when it comes to the helmet rule is that. Isn't it doesn't include bracing for contact. So if someone's bracing for contact and they make contact with their helmet or initiate contact with their helmet, then it's technically not a penalty. Although that and that's pretty much the exact scenario that happened or that led to the uh, Kevin Johnson concussion. And Kevin Johnson, yes, he did go limp and he was looked like he was struggling there. But that's yeah. the majority of it's the majority of helmet contact is bracing for contact. Bracing for contact. <laughs> I mean, that's like the definition of tackling almost, too. Like, you're bracing for contact. Exactly. How much can so, you, you know? How right, much that, can you? That little wrinkle in in the rule can lead to, like, a, yeah. I don't know. It could it's, be an excuse for well, almost yeah. every single it's, play, possibly. It's, that's it's, like it's, me bracing for contact from Kevin. Yeah. You know? Well, that, that I'm just saying my prayers. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just crazy. But it's, this is the NFL's get out of jail free, the caveat get out of jail free from having to call these penalties. And that's kind of like, this is, goes back to what we said last week. It goes back to what we said in the offseason. If the NFL wanted to call the letter of the law how the rule's written, I mean, there would be 100, the, there'd be 100, 100 flags. flags yeah. um, and they went about, they found a nice middle ground in the preseason and they called a lot. And then as soon as the regular season starts, they don't, they don't call any. But um, 
you know, we'll put, there was an article, USA Today Sports, I don't know, they have some cheesy tagline for their sports page now, but uh, they, they wrote an article today about how the NFL, basically critis- highly criticizing the NFL for the lack of helmet calls, for putting the rule in place, saying all this stuff, and, and, then, one being, and then not calling it. Absolutely. So you can we'll give, link that up in the show yeah, notes. Give that a read if you're, if, if you're interested. But. Uh, but we did have, and talking about the concussion too, I mean, going back to oh, Kevin yeah. Johnson and just the concussion in itself, right? So he had a nasty concussion over uh, during the preseason. Taken to the hospital, he was knocked out, um, I believe, and um, took him a little while to get back and recover from that one. And now suffering a second one that looks incredibly similar, apparently, to what happened. And um, this is now within the span of what? A month. month? Yeah. Yeah. He's he's now suffering two significant traumatic brain injuries. All concussions are mild traumatic brain in, injuries, right? So the question is, how many is too many, right? That's always going to be the key question. And recovery from this, like we talked about before, is, hey, how long did it take you to to recover from the last one, right? Did you lose consciousness? Did you um did you uh do you have any predisposing factors and how many concussions you've had prior in the past you know so there's a lot of factors here um that that are going to contribute to his return and uh whether it's going to be safe for him to recover uh, we, we should have like a breaking news one of those breaking news things so 45 minutes ago the texans put him on uh put him on ir yeah. so Eight weeks. Yeah. Eight weeks minimum. Um, and possibly, possibly. So it's, there's a quote that uh, Bill O'Brien, head coach, said, a lot of time. Yeah. He's going to be sidelined a lot of time. Yeah. Um, but so they put him on IR, so he's out at least eight oh, weeks. Oh, it's good there. So, well, I mean, after last year's uh, debacle with the tight end. Tom Savage. Oh, and, yeah. And, yeah. And they, they had the, the, the problem with the tight end from, right. from, from, the, from the Texans, too, who they put on IR pretty significantly. Yeah, he had, like, three concussions in the span yeah. of, like, yeah. a few months. But that's, I mean... He at, was playing for the wrong team at yeah. one point. <laughs> I mean, it's... I don't know. It's 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 good. It's good and bad. It's good. You don't... You hate to see the guy getting two concussions in, yeah. in, in the span of a month, but um, at, at least the, you, you know it's... You know it's bad when you have to go on. We we talked about this last year. You know it's bad when they're when you're going on IR for absolutely for, for a concussion. It's serious. Yeah. Um. But it's a good step that they're doing that. Yeah. Um. Because yeah, I think in I think in years past, um, you didn't you saw very few concussions that led to if you if immediate long term. If you transcend uh, just football and you try to um, give them or or give the fans a a bit of a um a comparison, look at Clint Frazier, right? Clint Frazier from the Yanks, he was put on on uh, season-ending IR too. You know, he he's recovering through concussion symptoms, and look at what this guy's just suffered. You know, Kevin Johnson has. You know, so completely different mechanisms, completely different ways about it, and now the recovery is going to be completely different and completely protracted because it all depends on what your predisposing factors were. You know, um, whether or not you lost consciousness and the symptoms that you get from it, because Kev is you've had a concussion in the past and you know that there are longstanding symptoms, the headaches, the the trouble with the vision, the, you know, trouble with sounds and, and all those types of things. So those things can take quite a while for the brain to say, holy crap, I'm back to normal. 
I mean, I've interviewed people on the other aspect of the podcast that, you know, have been four, five, six, seven years out from a concussion and they're still feeling Absolutely. the effects from it. So it's hard to put a timeline on it, but, you, you know, it can only be held. Him not hitting his head in the next eight weeks is definitely not going to hurt his recovery. Yeah. So I'm almost glad that they chose to put him on IR. Yeah, you know? basically. That's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's just proof of how far we've come. You know, yeah. five years ago, would that have happened? No. No. Yeah. Probably not. And he might have. He, there's a good chance he would have been out, missed some, uh, missed some time. But oh yeah. In, you know, but th- they're they're saving the athletes from themselves at this point. <laughs> correct. You know? Correct. 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 So there was one uh, ejection from uh, because of a hit uh, this week, and that was a hit on Andrew Luck. Uh, Josh, you want to take us through that one? Yeah. So it was uh, the Bengals, Kevin's Kevin's favorite team when it comes Fontes. to uh, Perfect. Fontes. Perfect. He's he's suspended for four games. So well, you can't say I'm surprised. PDs, not anything related <laughs> to helmet contact. Regardless, um, but it's like the broken window effect, you know. But this 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 play is the perfect example of what the NFL is trying to take out of the game. Um, Andrew Luck went back to pass, scrambled out of the pocket, ran about 10 yards. Uh, defender was tackling him from behind. As he's going to the ground, the safety basically comes from off the screen and leads with his shoulder and his and uh, his upper arm, but um, he's looking to pile drive the quarterback into the ground when he's yeah. already when he's already been wrapped up. So that's just the it's the unnecessary extra hit that um, that the NFL is trying to take take out take out of the game, especially when it's on on a quarterback. Um, I would have liked to see if this was a running back, if he got ejected. Um, I would have said probably not, but since it's a quarterback, he definitely does. He's um, giving himself up. Wait. Well, he was, he was, he was falling forward because he was being tackled. So he wasn't uh, sliding feet first. So he wasn't giving himself up. Um, but uh, he was still going to the ground and it's just, it's, this is, this was never ejected five years ago, 10 years ago, probably not even two years ago. Um, it probably wasn't even a penalty a couple of years ago, but now this is the perfect example of an unnecessary contact to a player. Yeah. Just, it's, there's, there's, there's no two ways around it. So um, the good thing is the more uh, guys get ejected for plays like this, I think it'll, the more and more it'll start, start to, to sink, sink in. in. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's unfortunately, I think that this is also something that's plagued luck throughout his whole career, right? He's just been getting massacred. Yeah, you can say his line and so on, but in some of these situations, slide. You know, I know it's competitive. I know you're trying to get as many yards as you possibly can. I don't believe that this was a third down play or anything like that, you know? So he's going to have to put himself in a situation where he takes care of himself too. And he kind of plays with that reckless abandon. Yeah. yeah. If you look at the video, he's clearly has no thoughts of sliding feet first mm-hmm. at any point. I mean, yeah, he's trying to, at the end, you see he's trying to brace himself and, and get to the ground, but he's still getting to the ground with his upper body first. And not, Speaking uh, of sliding, uh, I was watching Cam Newton play this uh, this weekend, and he was not sliding at all. But well, he'll never slide. I'm just saying, no, but I'm saying like, it's Cam Newton that doesn't slide is a fun Cam Newton to watch play football because he's like, oh, yeah. he is so good. Well, he he yeah. he delivers more of an impact to most of the guys trying to tackle him. I know, but I remember a couple of years ago, you know, everyone was talking about how they need to protect him because he's constantly getting beat up. And well, yeah. but you know, well, this and we we talked about this last year with them and with, with the Panthers. They 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 found the point last year where they basically just said f it, like. They they tried for a while to protect him and not run him and uh, protect him from himself and keep him keep him as their quarterback and then they realized like 
He's this, this is the weapon we have. This is the offense we're going to run. And we're just going to. He jukes some guy out of his shoes so (laughs) bad this past weekend. I was like, yeah, this guy is freaking awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Cam. Uh, Okay. And uh, in one of the one of the Monday night games yesterday, uh, Jamal Adams, who he's a defensive back for the Jets, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Safety, yeah. got that one right. Uh, <laughs> they made an example of him for dislodging a ball in a good way. They were the commentator kind of said that uh, it was going to be an example on how to hit legally and dislodge a ball um, with avoiding the helmet rule or hit on a defenseless receiver. And I thought it was interesting because they said it was a good example. And I mean, when you saw it live, I, you thought it was just a really good play, good athletic play and with no intent to injure or anything like that. But when you really break down the film, he 100% led with his head. Um, it could have been the positioning of the receiver, and he was just needed to make a play, and the only way he could do it was by diving and lunging forward like he did. But, you know, to the law of the rule, it's technically leading with I, your head. I don't think so. I don't, you know, I think I that's think, a matter of perception. Well, uh, I also <laughs> I, I, I think the angle makes it look – I think that like the camera angle from like way behind both of them makes it look like he's leading with his head more than he really is. But like we talked about, we've talked about the bunch, like you can't make contact and not like he can't make contact that with the receiver without his, without his head bleeding his body. It's, it's like, unless he's going to like swing around and hit him with his hip, you know what I mean? And like do like a hip check. He can't, he can't gain ground towards the receiver. And make contact with anything on the receiver without his head being in play and further than the rest of his body. It just can't. Right. But um, if you watch it, his head's off to the side. His head and shoulder make contact at, if not the same time, a split second, and he's right like in the armpit. Of, right, of and the, that was something I talked contact. about earlier before we started recording, and that was. It was to me. It was more a better example of the target zone to aim for Correct. as a defensive back, as opposed to leading with your head. Because, like you said, yeah. it's impossible to make it to tackle in any way, shape, or form without having your head be Involved. the closest yeah. thing right. to the yeah. defender initially. Yeah. And the the other thing with this, which is the biggest point I think, is the lack of launch. Yes. You know, uh, I mean, he could in the very same position, he could have very easily almost sunk down and launched rocketed himself in and maybe led with his head maybe led with his shoulder right because his one oh. foot was still on the ground Cor- when he made contact correct it was, and i think another word to kind of describe it and what that makes it a good example of a clean hit is it was deliberate like correct. it was deliberate placement of his shoulder head area you know and it was in control he was in control of his movement yeah. yes yeah, Without you know what, how much I love that yeah. <laughs> he was playing with control. Playing that's with right. Control. That's right, Kev. And and he and he didn't leave his feet. And like so, that's this is uh, we've gone a couple cross sport references tonight. So that's one of the biggest determining factors with checks to the head and neck area in yeah. in hockey is leaving your feet. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they've cut down on a lot of contact with 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 helmets and, and, and heads in hockey. But, I mean, you can still have a really good clean check and hit guys up around the neck, shoulders, and head. But the minute you 
leave your skates and leave your feet, that's when you get the major penalties and, and, and all that stuff in hockey. And you still see it um, most of the times, a lack of control in, in hockey. But this is a very good example of not leaving his feet and not launching to the point that we've seen defensive backs launch and leave their feet in the past. I think the conversation is great because I think we're going to have this similar conversation multiple times because, you know, initially how you, you saw it, Kev, a lot of people are going to see it that way, right? It's going to be a matter of perception when you when you see these things. And it's going to be open for interpretation, um, but it generates good conversation. And I think that's the only way that people will finally start to come to a consensus about what's good and where we need to target those things. I almost think like a checklist. It's like, all right, someone makes a tackle. Like, number one, they probably had to have led with their head in some way, shape, or form. Correct. But mm-hmm. for... One, were they in control? Two, did they leave their feet? Three, you know, where was their strike zone? Four, you know, it, yeah. the, the list can go on and on. But I'm just saying, like, it's a criteria. You need to have, like, most of the criteria yeah. checked off in order yeah. for it to be. But think about all that stuff that you just said and then try to officiate it. Right. I'm not saying it's easy. Yeah. No, it's, 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 it's definitely hard. And that's why they're going to get something wrong. Yeah. But whatever. I'm just sad you didn't acknowledge my, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just Really upset about that. Right, Kev, your time to shine. Last point of the night. All right, last point of the night. When I saw this, I was like, no freaking way, dude. <laughs> and that's Tom Brady. He's got a new helmet. TB12. He's got the Rydell Precision Fit Speed Flex. So coming into this season, I don't know if we discussed this last. I don't think we discussed this last uh, episode. Well, I think we talked about last year. But they okay, so they had a helmet laboratory testing and rankings last year. Oh, I thought you meant Brady. We talked about Brady last year. Oh, um, but anyway, yeah, they had the helmet rankings last year. But what was different about the 2008 helmet laboratory testing performance results was that they put a threshold on the rating score. So if it fell below a certain line in the lab testing, then those helmets were actually prohibited from being used in an NFL football game. And one of those helmets uh, was uh, Tom Brady's helmet, and that's the Rydell VSR-4. And that's a helmet that, like, I wore when I was, like, nine years old mm-hmm. playing, you know, p- Little League football. And I-, I always wondered, like, you know, for a guy who's been so, like, resilient and injury-free and Tom versus time – to wear one of the worst performing helmets, you know, out there. Like, how does he do that? So that's why, and also a part of this rule of the helmet being prohibited is that it's grandfathered. So just because it was prohibited in this list doesn't mean that Tom Brady couldn't have worn that helmet again this year because he had already always worn it. It's just new players coming into the league can't choose to wear those helmets. And old players can't change to it. Right. Um, but if you were wearing, if you had been wearing it already, you can keep, you can continue to wear. Right. So I just thought it was cool that he went with, uh, the Rydell speed flex and the precision aspect to the name is because the Rydell, Rydell company has software where they literally do like a 3d scan of your head and they, they build a helmet that fits specifically for your head. 
And I know when I was at Rutgers, they started doing that with some of the players there. But what's interesting is that that's actually not the best performing helmet out there. It's still the Vices helmets from hmm. 2017 and 2018. Uh, and I'm starting to see more and more guys wearing those Vices helmets uh, compared to last year and in college too. I think like Notre Dame, like their whole team has it. Uh, it it's interesting. Yeah, obviously money. Josh is making the money sign over here. But it, it's interesting because I think there's a lot of politics in the equipment world. And like – the equipment managers are like boys with the Rydell guys, or they're boys with the Vices guys, or they're it's boys. Also, it's also money. I mean, right. it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a significant amount of money in in any in the professional leagues and the college leagues. I mean, these equipment companies are getting a lot of money from teams for their helmets. So if their helmet, if if I'm Notre Dame and I'm wearing a helmet that is significantly worse, um, that company is going to take a hit by losing Notre Dame, this hypothetical, as their as their helmet supplier. You know what I mean? So, right. the, yeah, I'm just, just when, whenever there's that much money involved, there's going to be some sort of politics. But And when these helmets translate down into, like, the lower leagues, like the high school leagues and things like that, that's the other uh, uh, thing that you kind of have to, to bring up, right? Um, because it becomes more of an issue for those those schools and things like that to replace or repair these helmets and, and, and so on. I know I right. saw somewhere that Vices is trying to come out with a more affordable youth helmet. Yeah, I think you sent that in the uh, during the offseason. I think that was be- back in the summer. Before, oh, okay. Uh, but yeah. I, I yeah, but they're working on making it more because that's a, like a $1,500 helmet yes. for one. Yeah. So, yeah, to High equip an entire yeah. team would be like near impossible. High schools, youth leagues aren't affording, can't, aren't able to afford those Vices helmets. But right. my personal opinion is Giselle made them do it. <laughs> made them change. I, yeah, I thought it could have. Yeah, I guess it's either that or it All was in the name of fashion. Going against his, his brand. You know, like he's got this whole. TB12 brand going of Tom versus time and recovery tools and trying to last, you know, keep, make your health last for forever. That and avocado ice cream. Yeah. But he's wearing a helmet that doesn't yeah. support that. But now he is. Now he is. While he's eating his avocado ice cream. Yeah, possibly. Well, that's what I'm saying. All right, gentlemen. Solid uh, week of work here. Unfortunate circumstances for some of the guys out for the season. Uh, we wish them the best. Uh, in their recoveries and we'll see what happens next week to see if we see a few more flags flying around because it didn't seem consistent with what was called in the well there pre-season. were a ton of flags in general yeah but not so much the helmet flag. not within the points of emphasis uh, discussed earlier in the season Correct. all right uh, well, we have to go remote next week my bad yeah, dog uh, josh is dog sitting so oh. we'll, we'll make it happen we'll persevere 